Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you all today in person or online. And it's great to see some of you that were at the barbecue that made it today. I was a little concerned. Uh, People might be tired and didn't make their way back. Uh, But today we have our final sermon in the Jesus Way series, Loving Your Enemies. Quickly, we've run through um, these different themes, these different realities over the last couple of months that sometimes we're in a wilderness place. We might have questions and doubts and just the necessity of holding on to Jesus. Pastor Brenda challenged us with the question, does the Holy Spirit have you? Um, We talked about unity or uniformity, that we shouldn't be dividing over disputable matters. We talked about ministering in the margins and being a stone catcher, that powerful story of Jesus um, confronting the self-righteousness of the teachers of the law. We talked about power and knowing where your power comes from, because whatever we base our power on, it will shape how we use it in the world dealing with offense, and how can we respond in love when we're offended. And last week, Pastor Brenda talked about truth, knowing and living out the truth. We've used this image throughout the series um, as a way of reflecting the arc of Scripture, this journey from creation of heaven and earth that we hear about in Genesis 1 and 2, where things on earth and in heaven are happening the way God intends. All of it is happening how he intends. But then, of course, with the fall, sin is introduced, selfishness, greed um, is introduced into the world, and there's a separating of that ideal of, of heaven and earth pulling apart. And, and rest of Scripture is really God's redemption plan, his rescue plan to bring those back to together. We hear that in Jesus's prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. This is space where they overlap is new creation, the kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth. And then there will be one day a judgment. And scripture is clear about this warning. There will be a refining fire and eventually bringing all of those things back together, overlapping how it was in the beginning. And we hear about that in the last two chapters of Revelation. All right, so now you may be thinking, okay, God's rescue plan, he, he had his people of God, they were to show the world and be a blessing to the world and show the world who God was. Jesus came, God himself, and, and Jesus died on the cross. Um, why, if Jesus died on the cross, Satan was defeated, why is there still evil in this world? Why are still things not functioning as God intended? And that's a good question because there's this already and not yet to the kingdom. That's the overlap. Not everything here is as it should be. We get to live in the overlap. We get to invite people into that overlap, right? Evil was defeated on the cross, but it hasn't yet fully manifested itself. The defeat is not complete, if you will, of evil. It won't be fully manifested until the judgment day. Because, among other things, Jesus wants us to be a part of his plan. He isn't going to do everything for us. And part of that plan is for us to be faithful partners with God, co-laborers with God, his ambassadors. See, Jesus strikes a decisive blow against the kingdom of darkness through his self-sacrificial love that we see displayed on the cross. That's what defeats the kingdom of darkness, but we have a role to play in that. 
Scripture talks about the church being the bride of Christ. And when this overlaps, when the church is living out what kingdom life is supposed to be, we're bearing testimony to that overlap, that new creation, that kingdom of heaven, heaven on earth, where God's will is done. And we can make it even more personal, Jesus' prayer. We can pray in Hong Kong as it is in heaven, in your workplace as it is in heaven, in your school in your family, in your neighborhood. God wants us to be living in the kingdom, to have that show to the world what kingdom life is supposed to be about. We bear witness to what God is doing. All right, that's by way of introduction. Let's pray before we jump into our passage. God, I thank you that you invite us to bear witness to what you are doing, and you invite us to be your hands and feet in this world, God. You want to co-labor with us, and so I pray that as we dig into your word today, that you help us to hear what we need to hear from you in your name. Amen. So this whole series has been about looking at Jesus and how he has been living in the kingdom Our passage today comes from the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most challenging teachings Jesus gives us, starting verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those that love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me just give a note on verse 48. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. But perfect, there really kind of the, a better translation for that word would be mature or complete. Um, so in this context of, of loving your enemy, we could say loving without limits as your heavenly father loves without limits. Okay. But let's go back to the beginning of this passage. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, there's nowhere in the Old Testament where it says, you know, hate your enemy. But the question, and the question that Jesus is often confronted with is, who is my neighbor? They knew they were supposed to love their neighbors, which implies that you can not love your non-neighbor, right? So Jesus is emerging something that developed. Yes, we're supposed to love my neighbor, but let's draw a really tight fence around who my neighbor is, so then I can only have to love these few people, and Jesus does not let them off the hook. He says in verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Now, this is in the present imperative, so it's consistently ongoing action. Go on loving your enemy. Continue to love your enemy, right? It's not a a one-off sort of thing. And this is not easy. Jesus assumes there'll be even more than just enemy, enemies that you will have in your life that will be difficult to love. And he invites us into that process. Now, love and pray is really kind of two sides to the same coin. Loving and praying, he invites us into that. Now, loving 
in English, we can say a lot of things. I love barbecue, right? I love riding my bike. I love my kids. And, and hopefully my love for my kids is deeper and more profound than my love for barbecue, right? My daughter actually texted me in between services. She's in California. She was watching last service. She's like, you do love me more than barbecue, right? And then, of course, she was, she was joking too. But you never know who's going to be watching you. And my kids were watching me. At least my daughter was. But what does it mean to love in Scripture? It's not having warm feelings for, right? It's not having some emotional movement in your heart. Love in Scripture is, is really about action. It's, it's purposeful. It, it's tangible that you love with. Dallas Willard, I like how he says it. it he says to, to will their good, right? To will the person's good. We can have this idea, you know, that... In general, I love, right? And our vision is to love God, love people, love doing good. Yeah, 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 I love that concept. (laughs) But can I love the person right in front of me? That's what Jesus wants to challenge us with today. Do you have an enemy? Enemies? Does a name pop into your mind as you contemplate that? Now, maybe that word enemy is pretty strong, and, and I never thought of like having enemies. It seems like pretty serious. But when I was a kid, I grew up in the U.S. in the midst of the Cold War, and every sort of war movie was about USA against USSR, right? Freedom and communism, right? This was the, the trope, and whether it was Rocky Balboa, you know, or other movies, and, and you had this idea of enemy in the broad sense, and, and maybe we have that today. If I'm blue, do I hate the yellow? If I'm yellow, do I hate the blue? Maybe we have this political tension, but what I want to talk about today is not so much those broad strokes, and we shouldn't be hating them either, but really I want to talk to you about people, a person in your life that is difficult for you to love. Now, the church I was growing up in, um, we were definitely, you know, not grabbing a hold of this teaching from Jesus. It was like, who is our neighbor? Who do we have to love? And and we had such a small circle of who we had to love. If you were another church um, and you didn't believe scripture the way we did, then we actually put you in an enemy category. and, and, And we felt justified in that. And we didn't really read this passage in context. And maybe for the people in our own lives, we do that as well. I am justified in hating you. I'm at least justified in not loving you, about not praying for you. I know that that is something I have to be mindful of, of not justifying my lack of desire or putting love into action for those who I would say are difficult to love. All right. So who in your life might be an enemy? Somebody that has offended you. Maybe somebody who has stabbed you in the back. Somebody who has betrayed you. A coworker who makes life difficult for you, who takes credit for the things that you have done. Maybe it's somebody in your home environment, an inconsiderate partner, an overbearing parent, a wayward child, a difficult roommate. 
people that I was telling you I love to bike, right? And there is sort of, maybe you have these two, these one-off events that it's difficult to love. I, taxi drivers or bus drivers that you know, get really close to me and slam on their horn or, or swerve towards me in those moments, you know, God has been working in me and, and through me to, to love in those moments. And, and, and that's one sort of category, the, these one-off things. But what can usually be more challenging are people that are in your life, right? You, you, maybe they're in your family, they're in your workplace. You, you can't, you know, sort of run away from them and you're still in relationship on some level, but maybe there's a huge rift and you're wanting to avoid it and, and your heart has gone cold, your heart feels justified in your actions against them. I know for me, I have to keep revisiting this. This week I've been able to think about, okay, do, have I put anybody in that category or has, is there further work to do for people that have been hard to love? And yes, there is always further work for me to do in this. So I try to come with a soft heart because this is hard work, church. Why love your enemies? Why? Because Jesus loves your enemies. What is one way that God shows his love for everybody? We hear it in this passage in verse 45. It says, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. It doesn't matter if you're following God. It doesn't matter, you know, what religion you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. He gives the sun and the rain to everybody. We were at the beach barbecue yesterday. It was a glorious day, blue skies. It wasn't just a blue sky for our group from community church. Everybody got to take part in that. If you're a farmer, these are essential things you need in your life. And God says, I want to bless everybody with these things because God so loved the world, right? Everyone in it, all of creation. And so he blesses the whole world with that. But what else? He says that you may be children of your father. That means if you want to be like your father, you are about loving your enemies. What is God like? Loving enemies. What is God like? Self-sacrificing for your enemies. And we are his children when we are doing that. You are reflecting the heart of God. You are reflecting his image and his likeness, that, that initial diagram, right, where earth and heaven are overlapped and we are made in his image and, and likeness. And when we are reflecting that, we are his children of God. If you want to be like God, be indiscriminate of your love towards others like God is. If you want to be a child of God, be generous in your love, not withholding. How did Jesus love his enemies? See, he doesn't ask us to do something he has not already done. This is why his act on the cross is the definitive picture of who he is and his love for us. In the midst of Jesus being insulted, persecuted, beaten, betrayed, he doesn't strike them down. He doesn't hop off the cross, knock some heads around, right? He sacrifices himself. Instead of repaying evil for evil, he is created in his opposition to evil. He did not deserve to die. 
And yet, that is what happened to him. What does he say on the cross? He prays for them, right? And he forgives them. This is the love of Jesus that we get to experience as well. With that act, the universe was changed. Evil was defeated. Satan struck down. Jesus absorbs the worst that the world could throw at him, and he gives himself to defeat it. See, to love and to pray are not two different commands. They really go together. Jesus understands that we can't genuinely pray for somebody and keep them in the category of enemy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate other Christians for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble they cause me. In intercessory prayer, the face that may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed into the face of one for whom Christ died, the face of a pardoned sinner. This reflects the heart of God. You know, every Sunday we worship with song, and songs always, you know, have repeated lines, right? They're a way for us to, to reflect on, to go deeper with. Um, we sang many great songs today, but one of the lines was, let all of my life tell of who you are. Let all of my life tell of who you are. And as we repeat that, it almost becomes a meditation and a prayer that we can go deeper into. It focuses our worship And so we're going to use the same principle today in prayer. We're not just going to talk about loving your enemies. We're going to pray for our enemies. And we'll use repetition to bring blessing instead of cursing. And this is a way to stretch ourselves as we gather today to let God come in and begin to soften places maybe in our hearts that are hard. It's a way of doing good for those who hate you. So what I want us to do, I've invite, I'll invite Robin up in a minute. Um, I talked with him actually like several months ago about this. Robin has giftings and contemplative practices, and do come to the service Wednesday night to experience that. And so we were talking about how to do this, and these are three sort of things that come from Scripture that we want to, to invite you into to pray for people today that the Lord, please bless, and then you'll put a name of the person in there with your safety and security, with your kindness and mercy, with your best for her or his life. Um, we see this prayer for safety in Psalm 16.1, keep me safe, my God. We see Micah 6.8, this loving kindness, walking humbly, this mercy that um, God wants us to have. We see in Romans, Paul's charge to bless those who persecute you, to bless, right? To, to, to pray for God's best. And so in this loving your enemies prayer, we're going to have you pray for three different people. Um, you'll actually start by praying this for yourself, right? And then pray for someone whom you love or care for, someone to whom you feel neutral towards, and and then someone you dislike or perhaps maybe you even hate. So begin to think about who might be in that place for you that you could pray these things to. Now, the person that you love and care for, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a close friend, uh, maybe it's somebody that you are 
um, you know, in frequent connection with, or, or maybe it's somebody that's far away geographically, but you love them, and maybe they're facing a particular challenge right now that you want to lift up in prayer. Maybe somebody that you feel neutral about is maybe it's a colleague that you don't really know. Maybe it's the person who makes your coffee um, in the morning. Uh, Maybe it's a neighbor that you've never spoken to, a person you dislike. Maybe somebody that is toxic in the workplace. Maybe somebody um, who you've built up resentment for, your heart, your heart is hard towards, um, and you want to bring them forward today. Does this make sense? So I'd like to invite Robin up. He's going to lead us through um, a prayer. Um, and, you know, I, as he was leading it in the first service, you know, something shifted in my heart. And so we don't want to just talk about loving your enemies. We want to actually invite us into a time of praying for them. So let me hand it over to Robin now. Thank you, and thank you all. Well, let's do it. It's the prayer, love your enemies. We're going to do this in a meditative, repetitive sequence. So as we get ready for this contemplative approach to prayer, the body is really important, and you need to get your body sorted out and relaxed. So... Move into the back of your chair and use the back of the chair to support your back. And feet on the floor is the best for your feet. And then the hands can go anywhere, maybe down here. And move the head around and get the weight above the spine and feel completely relaxed. And then let's practice breathing because deep breathing is really going to help the mind to calm, and the heart to open. Let's, let me breathe with you. Let's do three deep breaths. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out, and return your breathing to its normal rhythm, and feel the body relax, and the mind calm down, and the heart open. Please make sure you have your three people ready for prayer. The first one, remember, someone you love and care for. The second person, neutral. Maybe you've never really noticed them before with any concern. She needs God's blessing also. And the third person, someone you dislike, even hate. You're probably feeling anger, bitterness, resentment, and that's fine. Because this prayer is to bring a blessing for that person. 
Now, the three words of the blessing are on the PowerPoint, so difficult to remember, perhaps. So maybe just glance at the screen each time we bring a person for the blessing. I'm going to speak out the blessing just once, and then I'll give you enough silence to inwardly sound the blessing three times. Let's begin. Lord, bless me with your safety and security, with your kindness and mercy, with the best for my life. Please carry on repeating three times. And now your first person, the person you love and care for. Let's pray for him or her. Lord, bless this person with your safety and security, with your kindness and mercy, with your best for her life. Please repeat three times. And now the neutral person who has been unobserved and unblessed. Bless him or her with these words. Lord, bless this person with your safety and security, with your kindness and mercy, with your best for her life. Please repeat three times. And now the third person, the one you dislike or even hate, she and he also need your blessing. Lord, bless this person with your safety and security, with your kindness and your mercy, with your best for her life. Please repeat three times.
In the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen.